You're listening to the final installment of The Three-Body Problem by Cixin Liu. The third attempt to unfold a proton into two dimensions began 30 trisolarian hours later. This time it was at night. From the ground it was impossible to see the ring of the accelerator in space. Only the red glow from the heat sinks of the fusion reactors around it marked its location. Shortly after the accelerator was started, the science console announced success. People gazed up at the night sky. Initially, there was nothing to see, but soon they saw a miraculous sight. The heavens separated into two pieces. Between the two, the pattern of the stars did not match, as though two photographs of the sky had been stacked together, with the smaller one overlaid on top of the big one. The Milky Way broke at the border between the two. The smaller portion of the star-studded firmament was circular, and it rapidly expanded against the normal night sky. That constellation in there belongs to the southern hemisphere, the culture and education console said, pointing at the expanding, circular patch of the sky. As people exercised their imaginations to understand how stars that could be seen only from the other side of the planet were now superimposed over the northern hemisphere's view, an even more astonishing sight appeared. At the edge of the expanding patch of the night sky from the southern hemisphere, a part of a giant globe appeared. The globe was brownish, and it was being revealed a stripe at a time, as though on a display with a very slow refresh rate. Everyone recognized the globe. On it were the clear outlines of familiar continents. By the time the entire globe came into view, it already occupied one-third of the sky. More details on the globe could be made out. The wrinkles of mountain ranges covering the brownish continents, the scattered cloud cover like patches of snow over the continents. Someone finally blurted out, That's our planet! Yes, Another Trisolaris had appeared in the sky. Next, the sky brightened. Next to the second Trisolaris in space, the expanding circle of the night sky from the southern hemisphere revealed another sun. This was clearly the same sun that currently was shining over the southern hemisphere, but it appeared at only half the size. Finally, someone figured it out. It's a mirror! The immense mirror that appeared over Trisolaris was the proton being unfolded, a geometric plane without any meaningful depth. By the time the unfolding was complete, the entire sky had been replaced by the reflection of the night sky of the southern hemisphere. Directly overhead, the sky was dominated by the reflection of Trisolaris and the sun. And then the sky began to deform just above the horizon all around and the reflections of the stars stretched and twisted as though they were melting. The deformation began at the edges of the mirror, but climbed up toward the center. Princeps, the proton plane is being bent by our planet's gravity, the science console said. He pointed to the numerous spots of light in the starry sky. They looked as though people were waving flashlights up at the domed vault, those are electromagnetic beams being sent up from the ground to adjust the curvature of the plane under gravity. The goal is to eventually wrap the unfolded proton completely around Trisolaris. Afterwards, the electromagnetic beams will continue to hold up and stabilize this enormous sphere, 
like so many spokes. Thus, Trisolaris will be the workbench to secure the two-dimensional proton, and the work to etch electronic circuits on the surface of the proton plane can begin. The process of wrapping the two-dimensional proton plane around Trisolaris took a long time. By the time the deformation of the reflection reached the image of Trisolaris at the plane zenith, the stars had all disappeared because the proton plane, now curved around the other side of the planet, blocked them completely. Some sunlight continued to leak inside the curved proton plane, and the image of Trisolaris in this funhouse mirror in space was distorted beyond recognition. But finally, after the last ray of sunlight was blocked, everything sank into the darkest night in the history of Trisolaris. As gravity and the electromagnetic beams balanced each other, the proton plane formed a gigantic shell in synchronous orbit around Trisolaris. Bitter cold followed. The completely reflective proton plane deflected all sunlight back into space. The temperature on Trisolaris dropped precipitously, reaching levels comparable to the appearance of three flying stars, which had ruined many cycles of civilization in the past. Most of the population of Trisolaris dehydrated and were stored. A deathly silence fell over much of the darkness-enclosed surface. In the sky, only the faint light spots from the beams that held up the proton membrane flickered. Occasionally, a few other tiny, sharp lights could be seen in synchronous orbit, the spaceships etching circuits into the gigantic membrane. The principles governing microscale integrated circuits were completely different from those of conventional circuits, as the base material wasn't made of atoms, but matter from a single proton. The PN junctions of the circuits were formed by twisting the strong nuclear forces locally on the surface of the proton plane, and the conducting lines were made of mesons that could transmit the nuclear force. Because the surface area for the circuit was extremely large, the circuits were also very large. The circuit lines were as thick as hairs, and an observer close enough could see them with the naked eye. Flying close to the proton membrane, it could be seen as a vast plane made of complex, elaborate, integrated circuits. The total area covered by the circuits was dozens of times the area of the continents on Trisolaris. Etching the proton circuits was a huge engineering feat, and thousands of spaceships worked for more than 15,000 Trisolaran hours to complete it. The software debugging process took another 5,000 Trisolaran hours. But finally, it was time to test the Sophon for the first time. The big screen at the Sophon Control Center, deep underground, showed the progress of the long self-test sequence. Next came the loading of the operating system. Finally, the blank blue screen showed a line of large font text. Microintelligence 2.10 loaded. Sophon 1, ready to accept commands. The science console said, A Sophon has been born. We have endowed a proton with wisdom. This is the smallest artificial intelligence that we can make. But right now, it appears as the largest artificial intelligence, said the princeps. As soon as we increase the dimensionality of this proton, it will become very small. The science console entered a query at the terminal. Sophon 1, are the spatial dimensionality controls operational? 
affirmative. Sophon 1 is capable of initiating spatial dimensionality adjustments at any moment. Adjust dimensionality to 3. After this command was issued, the two-dimensional proton membrane that had wrapped itself around Trisolaris began to shrink rapidly as though a giant's hand was pulling away a curtain over the world. In a moment, sunlight bathed the ground. The proton folded from two dimensions into three and became a gargantuan sphere in synchronous orbit about the size of the giant moon. The Sophon was over the dark side of the planet, but the sunlight reflected from its mirror surface turned the night into day. The surface of Trisolaris was still extremely cold, so the crowd inside the control center could only observe these changes through a screen. Dimensionality adjustment successful. Sophon 1 is ready to accept commands. Adjust dimensionality to 4. In space, the gargantuan sphere shrank until it eventually looked to be the size of a flying star. Night again descended over this side of the planet. Princeps, the sphere we see now is not the complete Sophon. It's only the projection of the Sophon's body into three-dimensional space. It is, in fact, a giant in four-space, and our world is like a thin, three-dimensional sheet of paper. The giant stands on this sheet of paper, and we can only see the trace where its feet touch the paper. Dimensionality adjustment successful. Sophon 1 is ready to accept commands. Adjust dimensionality to 6. The sphere in the sky disappeared. How big is a six-dimensional proton? The princeps asked. About 50 centimeters in radius, the science console replied. Dimensionality adjustment successful. Sophon 1 is ready to accept commands. Sophon 1, can you see us? Yes, I can see the control center, everyone inside, and the organs inside everyone, even the organs inside your organs. What is it saying? The princeps was stunned. A Sophon observing three space from six space is akin to us looking at a picture on a two-dimensional plane. Of course it can see inside us. Sophon 1, enter the control center. Can it go through the ground? The princeps asked. It's not exactly going through. Rather, it's entering from a higher dimension. It can enter any enclosed space within our world. This is again similar to the relationship between us, existing in three space and a two-dimensional plane. We can easily enter any circle drawn on the plane by coming in from above, but no two-dimensional creature on the plane can do such a thing without breaking the circle. Just as the science console finished, a mirror-surfaced sphere appeared in the middle of the control center, floating in air. The princeps walked over and gazed at his own distorted reflection, this is a proton? He was amazed. This is the six-dimensional body of the proton projected into three space. The princeps extended a hand. When he saw that the science console did not object, he touched the surface of the sophon. A very light touch pushed the sophon a considerable distance. It's very smooth. Even though it has only the mass of a proton, I, I could feel some resistance against my hand. The princeps was puzzled. 
That's due to air resistance against the surface of the sphere. Can you increase its dimensionality to 11 and make it as small as a regular proton? As soon as the princeps said this, the science console shouted to the sophon, his voice tinged with fear. Attention, this is not a command! Sophon 1 understands. <sighs> princeps, if we increase the dimensionality to 11, we would lose it forever. When the sophon shrinks to the size of a regular subatomic particle, the internal sensors and I.O. ports will be smaller than the wavelength of any electromagnetic radiation. That means it would not be able to sense the macro world and would not be able to receive our commands. But we must eventually make it shrink back to a subatomic particle. Yes, but that must await the completion of sophon 2, sophon 3, and sophon 4. Multiple sophons may be able to form a system to sense the macro world through quantum effects. For example, suppose a nucleus has two protons. The two of them will interact and follow certain patterns of motion. Take spin. Maybe the direction of spin of the two protons must be opposite from each other. When these two protons are taken out of the nucleus, no matter how far apart they are, this pattern will remain in effect. When both protons are made into sophons, they will, based on this effect, create a mutual sensing system. More sophons can then form a mutual sensing formation. This formation scale can be adjusted to any size and can thus receive electromagnetic waves to sense the macro world at any frequency. Of course, the actual quantum effects necessary to create such a sophon formation are very complicated. My explanation is only an analogy. The unfolding of the next three protons into two dimensions succeeded on the first try. The construction of each sophon also took only half as long as sophon 1. After the construction of sophon 2, sophon 3, and sophon 4, the quantum sensing formation was also created successfully. The princeps and all the consoles once again came to the pendulum monument. Above them hovered four sophons shrunk to six space. In the crystalline mirrored surface of each was an image of the rising sun, recalling the three-dimensional eyes that had once appeared in space. Sophon formation. Adjust dimensionality to 11. After the command was issued, the four mirrored spheres disappeared. The science console said, Princeps, now Sophon 1 and Sophon 2 will be launched toward the Earth. Using the large knowledge base stored in the microcircuits, the sophons understand the nature of space. They can draw energy from the vacuum and become high-energy particles in a moment and navigate through space at nearly the speed of light. This might appear to violate the law of conservation of energy, but in fact the sophons are only borrowing energy from the structure of vacuum. However, the time for returning such energy is far in the future, when the proton decays. By then, the end of the universe will not be far. After the two sophons arrive on Earth, their first mission is to locate the high-energy particle accelerators used by humans for physics research and hide within them. At the level of science development on the Earth, the basic method for exploring the deep structure of matter is to use accelerated high-energy particles to collide with target particles. After the target particles have been smashed, they analyze the results to try to find information reflecting the deep structure of matter. In actual experiments, they use the substance containing the target particles as the bullseye for the accelerated bullets. But the inside of the substance being struck is almost all vacuum, 
Suppose an atom is the size of a theater. The nucleus is like a walnut hovering in the center of the theater. Thus, successful collisions are very rare. Often large quantities of high-energy particles must be directed against the target substance for a sustained period of time before a collision occurs. This kind of experiment is akin to looking for a raindrop of a slightly different color in a summer thunderstorm. This gives the sophons an opening. A sophon can take the place of a target particle and accept the collision. Because they're highly intelligent, they can precisely determine through the quantum sensing formation the paths that the accelerated particles will follow within a very short period of time and move to the appropriate location. Thus, the likelihood that a sophon will be struck will be billions of times greater than the actual target particle. After a sophon is struck, it can deliberately give out wrong and chaotic results. Thus, even if the actual target particle is occasionally struck, Earth physicists will not be able to tell the correct result from the numerous erroneous results. Wouldn't this destroy the sophon as well? Asked the military console. No. When a sophon is smashed into several pieces, several new sophons are born, and they continue to have secure quantum entanglements between them, just like how if you break a magnet in half, you would get two magnets. Even though each partial sophon's capabilities will be much lower than the original whole sophon, under the direction of the self-healing software, the pieces will move together and reassemble into the original sophon. This process only requires a microsecond and will occur after the collision in the accelerator and after the pieces of the sophon have left the wrong results in the bubble chamber or on sensitive film. Someone asked, Would it be possible for Earth scientists to find a way to detect sophons and then use a strong magnetic field to imprison them? Protons have positive charge. That's impossible. To detect sophons requires humans to make breakthroughs in the study of the deep structure of matter. But their high-energy accelerators will all have been turned into heaps of junk. How can they make progress in such research? The hunter's eyes have already been blinded by the prey he intends to catch. Humans may still resort to a brute force method, the industry console said. They can build a large number of accelerators, faster than the rate at which we can build sophons. Then at least some accelerators on Earth will not be infiltrated by sophons and can yield the correct results. This is one of the most interesting aspects of Project Sophon. The science console was visibly excited by the question. Mr. Industry Console, do not worry that creating large numbers of sophons will cause the collapse of the Trisolarian economy. We will not need to resort to that. We might build a few more, but not too many. Indeed, just these two are more than enough, because each sophon is capable of multitasking. Multitasking? This is a bit of jargon related to ancient serial computers. Back then, a computer's central processing unit could only carry out a single instruction at a time. But because it was so fast and aided by interrupt scheduling, from our low-speed perspective, the computer was carrying out multiple programs at the same time. As you know, the sophons move at close to the speed of light. The surface of the Earth is a tiny space for sophons. If sophons patrol around the accelerators on Earth at this speed, then, from the perspective of humans, it is as if they simultaneously exist in all the accelerators and can almost simultaneously create erroneous results in all the accelerators. 
By our calculations, each Sophon is capable of controlling more than 10,000 high-energy accelerators. It takes about four to five years for humans to build each of these accelerators, and it seems unlikely that they can be mass-produced based on their economy and available resources. Of course, they can increase the distance between the accelerators, for example, by building accelerators on the different planets in their planetary system. That would indeed destroy the multitasking operation of the Sophons. But in the time it would take to do that, it would not be difficult for Trisolaris to build ten or more Sophons. More and more Sophons will wander in that planetary system. Add it all together, they still won't add up to the mass of even one billionth of a bacterium. But they will cause the physicists on Earth to never be able to glimpse the secrets hidden deep in the structure of matter. Humans will never be able to access the micro-dimensions, and the ability for them to manipulate matter will be limited to below five dimensions. From now on, whether it's 4.5 million hours or 450 trillion hours, Earth civilization's technology will never achieve this fundamental breakthrough. They will remain forever in the primitive stage. The science of Earth has been completely locked down, and the lock is so secure that Humans will never be able to escape from it by their own strength. That's wonderful. Please forgive my lack of respect for Project Sophon in the past. The military consul's tone was sincere. In fact, there are currently only three accelerators with sufficient power to produce results that can lead to possible breakthroughs. After Sophon 1 and Sophon 2 arrive on Earth, they will have a lot of extra capacity. In order to fully utilize the Sophons, we will assign them other tasks in addition to interfering with the three accelerators. For example, they will be the main means to carry out the miracle plan. Sophons can create miracles? For humans, yes. Everyone knows that high-energy particles can expose film. This is one of the ways that primitive accelerators on Earth once showed individual particles. When a sophon passes through the film at high energy, it leaves behind a tiny exposed spot. If a sophon passes back and forth through the film many times, it can connect the dots to form letters or numbers or even pictures, like embroidery. The process is very fast and far quicker than the speed at which humans expose film when taking a picture. Also, the human retina is similar to the Trisolarin one. Thus, a high-energy sophon can also use the same technique to show letters, numbers, or images on their retina. And if these little miracles can confuse and terrify humans, then the next great miracle will be sufficient to frighten their scientists. No better than bugs to death. Sophons can cause background cosmic radiation to flash in their eyes. This would be very frightening for our scientists as well. How would this be accomplished? Very simple. We've already written the software to allow a Sophon to unfold itself into two dimensions. After the unfolding is complete, the huge plane can wrap itself around the Earth. This software can also adjust the membrane so that it's transparent, but the degree of transparency can be tuned in the frequencies of the cosmic microwave background. 
Of course, as sophons fold and unfold into different dimensions, they can display even more amazing miracles. The software for accomplishing these is still being developed, but these miracles will create a mood sufficient to divert human scientific thought onto the wrong path. This way, we can use the miracle plan to effectively restrain scientific endeavors outside of physics on Earth. One last question. Why not send all four of the completed sophons to Earth? Quantum entanglement can work at a distance. Even if four sophons were placed at opposite ends of the universe, they could still sense each other instantaneously, and the quantum formation between them would still exist. Keeping Sophon 3 and Sophon 4 here will enable them to receive the information sent back by Sophon 1 and Sophon 2 instantaneously. This gives us a way to monitor the Earth in real time. Also, the Sophon formation allows Trisolaris to communicate in real time with the alienated forces within Earth civilization. Unnoticed, the sun that had just risen disappeared below the horizon and turned into a sunset. Another chaotic era had arrived on Trisolaris. While Iatwinsiha was reading the messages from Trisolaris, the Battle Command Center was hosting another important meeting to perform further analysis of the captured data. Before the meeting, General Chung said, Comrades, please be aware that our meeting is probably already being monitored by Sophons. From now on, there will be no more secrets. When he said this, the surroundings were still familiar. The shadows of summer trees swayed against the drawn curtains. But in the eyes of the attendees, the world was no longer the same. They felt the gaze of omnipresent eyes. Under these eyes, there was nowhere to hide in the world. This feeling would follow them all their lives, and their descendants would not be able to escape it. It would take many, many years before humans finally made the mental adjustment to this situation. Three seconds after General Chung finished his remark, Trisolaris communicated with humanity outside the ETO for the first time. After this, they terminated all communications with the Adventists. For the remainder of the lives of all attendees, Trisolaris never sent another message. Everyone in the Battle Command Center saw the message in their eyes, just like Wong Miao's countdown. The message flashed into existence for only two seconds and then disappeared. But everyone got it. It was only a single sentence. Your bugs. 34. Bugs. By the time Shu Qiong entered the door of Ding Yi's home, Wang Miao and Ding Yi were already very drunk. The two were excited to see Shu Qiong. Wang stood up and hugged the newcomer's shoulders. Ah, Dasha, Officer Sha! Ding, who couldn't even stand straight, found a glass and put it on the pool table. He poured some liquor into it and said, Your out-of-the-box thinking was not helpful. Whether we look at those messages or not, the result 400 years from now will be the same. Da Shu sat down in front of the pool table, glancing at the two with a crafty gaze. Is it really like you say? Everything's over? Of course, 
It's all over, Ding said. You can't use the accelerators and can't study the structure of matter. That, that means it's all over, Dasha asked. Um, what do you think? Technology is still making progress. Academician Wong and his people just created the nanomaterial. Imagine an ancient kingdom, if you will. Their technology is advancing. They can invent better swords, knives, spears, etc. Maybe they can even invent auto-repeating crossbows that can shoot many arrows like a machine gun. Dasha nodded, understanding. But if they don't know that matter is made from molecules and atoms, they'll never create missiles and satellites. They're limited by their level of science. Ding patted Dasha on the shoulder. I always knew that our officer's show is smart. It's just that you... Wong took over. The study of the deep structure of matter is the foundation of the foundations of all other sciences. If there's no progress here, everything else, well, I'll put it your way, is bullshit. Ding pointed at Wong. Academician Wong will be busy for the rest of his life and continue to improve our swords and knives and spears. What the fuck am I gonna do? Who the hell knows? He threw an empty bottle onto the table and picked up a billiard ball to smash it. This is a good thing, Wong lifted his glass. We will be able to live out the rest of our lives one way or another. After this, decadence and depravity can be justified. We're bugs. Bugs that are about to go extinct. <laughs> exactly. Ding also lifted his glass. They think so little of us that they don't even bother to disguise their plans for us. Telling the Adventists everything. It's like how you don't need to hide the bottle of bug spray from the little critters. Let's toast the bugs. I never thought the end of the world would feel so good. Long live bugs. Long live sofans. Long live the end of the world. Dasha shook his head and drained the glass. He shook his head again. Bunch of pussies. What do you want? Ding stared at Dasha drunkenly. You think you can cheer us up? Dasha stood up. Let's go. Where? To find something to cheer you up. Whatever, buddy. Sit back down. Drink. Dasha took the two by their arms and dragged them up. Let's go. Bring the liquor if you have to. Downstairs, the three got into Dasha's car. As the car started, Wong asked in slurred speech where they were going. Dasha said, My hometown, not too far. The car left the city and sped west along the beijing Shijiazhuang Highway. It exited the highway as soon as they were inside Hebei province. Dasha stopped the car and dragged his two passengers out. As soon as Ding and Wong got out of the car, the bright afternoon sun made them squint. The wheat fields of the North China Plain spread out before them. 
What did you bring us here for? Wong asked. To look at bugs. Dasha lit one of the cigars Colonel Stanton had given him and pointed at the wheat fields with it. Wong and Ding now noticed that the fields were covered by a layer of locusts. Every wheat stalk had a few crawling over it. On the ground, more locusts wriggled like some thick liquid. They're plagued by locusts here? Wong brushed away some locusts from a small area near the edge of the field and sat down. Like the dust storms, they started ten years ago. But this year's the worst. So what? Nothing matters now, Dasha. Ding spoke, his voice still drunk. I just want to ask the two of you one question. Is the technological gap between humans and Trisolarans greater than the one between locusts and humans? The question hit the two scientists like a bucket of cold water. As they stared at the clumps of locusts before them, their expressions grew solemn. They got Shu Chiang's point. Look at them, the bugs. Humans have used everything in their power to extinguish them, every kind of poison, aerial sprays, introducing and cultivating their natural predators, searching for and destroying their eggs, using genetic modification to sterilize them, burning with fire, drowning with water. Every family has bug spray, every desk has a fly swatter under it. This long war has been going on for the entire history of human civilization, but the outcome is still in doubt. The bugs have not been eliminated. They still proudly live between the heavens and the earth, and their numbers have not diminished from the time before the appearance of the humans. The Trisolarans who deemed the humans bugs seem to have forgotten one fact. The bugs have never been truly defeated. A small black cloud covered the sun and cast a moving shadow against the ground. This was not a common cloud, but a swarm of locusts that had just arrived. As the swarm landed in the fields nearby, the three men stood in the middle of a living shower, feeling the dignity of life on earth. Ding Yi and Wang Miao poured the two bottles of wine they had with them on the ground beneath their feet. A toast for the bugs. Dasha, thank you. Wong held out his hand. I thank you as well. Ding gripped Dasha's other hand. Let's get back, Wong said. There's so much to do. 35. The Ruins no one believed that Yawin Sia could climb Radar Peak by herself, but she did it anyway. She didn't allow anyone to help her along the way, only resting a couple of times in the abandoned sentry posts. She consumed her own vitality, the vitality that could not be renewed without pity. After learning the truth of Trisolaran civilization, Ya had become silent. She rarely spoke but did make one request. She wanted to visit the ruins of Red Coast Base. 
When the group of visitors ascended Radar Peak, its tip had just emerged from the cloud cover. After walking a whole day in the foggy haze, seeing the bright sun in the west and the clear blue sky was like climbing into a new world. From the top of the peak, the clouds appeared as a silver-white sea, and the rise and fall of the waves seemed like abstractions of the greater Kingon Mountains below. The ruins that the visitors had imagined did not exist. The base had been dismantled thoroughly, and only a patch of tall grass was left at the top. The foundations and the roads were buried below, and the whole place appeared to be a desolate wilderness. Red coasts seemed to have never happened. But Yas soon discovered something. She walked next to a tall rock and pulled away the vines covering it, revealing the mottled, rusty surface below. Only now did the visitors understand that the rock was actually a large metallic base. This was the base for the antenna, Yeah said. The first cry from Earth heard by an extraterrestrial world was sent from the antenna that had been here to the sun, and then amplified, broadcast to the whole universe. They discovered a small stone tablet next to the base, almost completely lost in the grass. Site of Red Coast Base, 1968 through 1987. Chinese Academy of Sciences, 1989-0321. The tablet was so tiny, it didn't seem so much a memorial as an attempt to forget. Yao walked to the lip of the cliff. Here, she had once ended the lives of two soldiers with her own hands. She did not look over the sea of clouds as the others were doing, but focused her gaze in one direction. Below the clouds, there was a small village called Chijiatun. Yaz's heart beat with effort, like a string on some musical instrument about to break. Black fog appeared before her eyes. She used the last bit of her strength to stay upright. Before everything sank into darkness, she wanted to see sunset at Red Coast Base one more time. Over the western horizon, the sun that was slowly sinking into the sea of clouds seemed to melt. The ruddy sun dissolved into the clouds and spread over the sky, illuminating a large patch in magnificent bloody red. My sunset, yeah, whispered, and sunset for humanity. That was The Three-Body Problem by Cixin Liu. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. If you liked this book, you can buy the sequel, The Dark Forest, wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Stay tuned for a sneak preview from the prologue of The Dark Forest. <laughs>